Amen. Well, guys, take your, uh, take your Bibles and let's open up the Word of God this morning and turn for our scripture reading to our sermon text. We're going to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to read together verses 10 through 17, and uh, the sermon will focus on the wider context, including uh, verses 1 through 9, but I'm going to read for us chapter 7, verses 10 through 17, I'll ask you to please stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. We stand for this is God's holy word for us, His people. God's word says, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we offer you now this next few, these next few moments where we have heard from your word, we ask that you would bless the reading of the word, but now especially, O oh God, bless the preaching, the proclamation, the exposition of your word. Open it forth. Be merciful to our hardness of heart and open us up to receive all that you have for us today. Write your word upon our hearts. Emblazon your truth into our very souls, so that we will believe all you have for us to believe, and we'll go forth from this place a little bit more like Jesus, walking as he walked, bearing his likeness and his image to those around us. We ask you to do this work for us by your Holy Spirit, and for your name's sake and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sometimes we go through seasons of life when we feel like God is far away. Events, circumstances, trials of various kinds come upon us. Sometimes we might see them coming, other times they show up suddenly. And these, are, these things that life can throw at us, they can make us feel 
distant from one another. Things happen between you and another person and you can feel distance like the relationship is damaged or broken and that person feels far away and it's not like it was before when you would smile when you would see each other and now you you see each other and and there's not a smile there's there's this bad feeling like something has been spoiled events life things can do this to husbands and wives to brothers and sisters to parents and children friends loved ones neighbors we feel distant. That can happen between you and another person, but that also can happen between you and God. Have you ever felt far from God? I don't mean before you became a Christian. I mean since you've been a Christian. That something happened in life. You know, I don't know, I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know your, lives, your life stories. Some of you I know a little bit, but... Most of you, has something happened before that made you feel far from God or made God feel distant from you? Like in those moments, maybe you try to pray and you feel like your, your prayers are just hitting the ceiling in your room and they're just, they're just not getting any higher. Is God even close enough to hear? I think we've all felt like that, at least to some extent, sometimes. I know I have. Well, in our passage this morning, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah at this particular time period in the Old Testament, in the 800s and 700s B.C. King Ahaz, he found himself in a situation where it seemed as though God had abandoned him in his hour of need. And what he needed, what Ahaz needed at that time, all those many centuries ago in the 700s B.C., it's the same thing that you and I need today. We need assurance from God that he's with us. We need something secure to cling to so that we have the strength to stand, to persevere as Christians. And to be victorious in the end. Isaiah, in our text, gives us a word of promise. And he confirms that word of promise with a sign. That word requires us to stand by faith. And the sign is God's divine certification that the promise is true. And that victory is assured. That's what Ahaz needed in his day. And we're no different. We need the same today. So let's look at what was going on with Ahaz. Let's back up to the beginning of chapter 7. There are things in life that I'm going to call separating circumstances, those things that don't actually separate us from God, but they make us feel like He's not with us. Things that happen to us that give us that sense, that emotion, that feeling that maybe He's not really with us. He feels far away. He feels distant. Those can be separating circumstances. They don't actually separate us from God, but they make us feel like 
he's not with us. So what was going on with Ahaz? What, was, what were his separating circumstances? Well, let's look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So you've got the king of Judah, that's Ahaz, and then you've got these other two guys. You've got Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, who's the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel. They came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. So Syria and the northern kingdom, so non-Israelites, non-Hebrews, Syrians, and then Judah's brothers and sisters, their, their own people, Hebrews, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the north. Syria and Israel have teamed up and they're marching south to invade Jerusalem. They're going to wage war against Judah. So this is going to be civil war in Israel, between Israel and Judah, with the help of a foreign enemy coming to conquer Jerusalem. So that's, that's, what, that's what Ahaz is facing as king. Not just invasion from an enemy, but betrayal by his own people. People who are related to him by blood. People of the family of Abraham. Who, yeah, they have their own separate kingdom up north, but they're still full Israelites. Verse 2 says, When the house of David was told, so that's Ahaz's house, that's Ahaz, Uzziah, these kings of Judah, descendants of King David. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. That's just another name for the northern kingdom. Ephraim is the northern kingdom, Israel, that's teamed up with Syria. Syria is in league with Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. It's really windy up on the hill where we live over here. And when there were still leaves on the trees, I mean, you just look out and you just see them fluttering, fluttering in the, in the wind. And this is the picture here that when Ahaz gets this news, he's just, he just, his whole heart is just trembling like the leaves shaking on the limb of a tree in the wind. And this makes him feel maybe God isn't with us. That's why he's shaking and trembling. These are his separating circumstances. The threat of war. Fast forward to the days of, first, of the first century. The season when Jesus was born. They too were facing separating circumstances. They were under the oppression of a foreign power. They're under the Roman Empire. And before that, they were under some other empire. And before that, they were under a different empire. And it's just been oppression after oppression, conquest after conquest, being ground to powder under the boot of all these Gentile nations. And they've been languishing under occupation, currently in those days, under the Romans. And so, what did they feel like? Well, we have a good idea uh, from Psalm 89. Let's read you a few verses from Psalm 89. 
The whole first half of this psalm is about God's promises to David that he will always have a descendant on the throne. David's always going to have a king. Israel's always going to have a king, a descendant of David, like Ahaz. And the whole first half of Psalm 89 is celebrating those promises. But then you get to verse 38 in Psalm 89, and the psalmist says, But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. You've made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of the sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease. You cast his, thro his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? This is a psalm that people in the days of Jesus would sing. And this reminded them that we are in desperate need. The promises have fallen to the ground. There is no king. Where is God? Why is his... It's just, it just feels like nothing but wrath. What's going on? We're covered with shame. We're just defeated. The Romans have just crushed us and continue to do so. Where are you, God? Is God with us? What Ahaz feared Ephraim and Syria would do had happened already to the first century Israelites. And us today, we go through sufferings, tragedies, disappointments, difficulties, letdowns, you name it. Life throws all this stuff at us just situations that happen that no one person orchestrates, just things happening to us. But then you throw in all the sinfulness of everybody around us, you know, and you throw in our own sin against them, and it just... It's this horrible mix of failure and disappointment one after another sometimes. And sometimes in life, those are few and far between. And then you get to a season when it just seems like it's all, ha it's all concentrating on me right now. It's happening all to me. Why, God? <laughs> Why is this going on? I remember years ago in my family, um, all in one stretch of just a few months, ten different people, either in my family or close to my family, all died. Just one after another. And it just, it's, it's like, you know, one per, like one, uh, my cousin's grand, grandmother is in a, her grandfather's in a car accident, killed, and two weeks later, she dies as well. And you just think, okay, what's happening here? What's going on? And then another person, and another person, and another person. And it just puts you on your knees, and you just have to say, God, what? Hello, are you paying attention? Are you doing this? Are you with me? Were you with them? We have this stuff that happens to us today. And they make us feel distant from God. So what does God give us in the midst of this? 
What did he give Ahaz? What did he give the first century Jews? And what does he give us? Well, because we all need the same thing, he gives us the same thing. He gives us a word of promise. Look what the word of promise was to Ahaz. This is verses 3 through 7. So after Ahaz gets this report that Syria and Ephraim are going to invade and conquer Jerusalem, or at least they're going to attempt to, and his heart shakes like the trees in the forest shaking in the wind. Verse 3 says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you in Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful. Be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of those two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabael as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. So Ahaz gets this word of promise. He gets it through a prophet. God speaks to Isaiah and says, go meet the king. He's going to be, here's where he's going to be. So you meet him there and give him this message. Be careful. Be quiet. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't let your heart be faint. It sh- what they're planning to do to you, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. So you get this word. Thus says the Lord, through his prophet, do not fear what they're planning will not happen to you. Fast forward to the first century again. And what do we get? What did they get? Well, they got a word as well. This time, it comes from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel." So this is what people were looking for in the first century. They're at the beginning of the first century. They're looking for a ruler who is going to come, who's going to spare them from the Romans. See, for Ahaz, the invasion hadn't happened yet. So he's looking, the promise is, they're not going to conquer you. For those who are already conquered, the promise is, you're not going to stay conquered Someone's going to come, and he's going to come from Bethlehem, and he's going to be your ruler, he's going to be your king, and he's going to be victorious for you. And so that's what they're looking for. That's their word of promise. They're, they're singing Psalm 89, Lord, where are you? How long or do we have to wait for this Micah 5-2 promise? When is the ruler going to come? And then us today, what's our word of promise? 
Our word of promise is that our ruler is going to come. Our word of promise is like Matthew 28, 20. I am with you. Behold, I am with you even to the very end of the age, Jesus says. Or in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So we have these promises in the midst of these separating circumstances that make us feel like God isn't with us, that make us feel like He's far away. Ahaz had a word of promise through his prophet. The first century Jews, they had a word of promise through the prophets. We have a word of promise not through some mere prophet, but through Jesus Himself, the Lord. We have this word that says, you're not alone, you haven't been abandoned, I'm still with you. I'm still for you. Even in the midst of the things that are happening, I'm still with you and I'm still for you. Now what a promise like this requires is that we stand by faith. The promise is future oriented. The promise is future oriented. Look at the promise to Ahaz, verses 8 and 9. He says, For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And here's the future part. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Oh, 65 years. <laughs> How comforted would you be if you had a promise? It's like, all right, I'm going to do this for you in 65 years. Great. Fantastic. Is there any way we can speed it up? Uh, so this promise wasn't specifically just for Ahaz. The comfort for Ahaz was that your people, the people of Judah, your kingdom, within 65 years' time, these threats you're worried about will be gone. Within 65 years' time, the promise will be fulfilled. And yeah, Ahaz, you, you might not be around anymore, but your people will still be around and your people will continue and God's people will go on and the promises will go forward and God's purposes will still be accomplished. You have to trust me to get you through this threat of invasion today. You have to stand by faith. The promise is future-oriented. The fulfillment's out there in front and so you have to stand by faith. In the first century, the Jews who were waiting for that ruler who would come, they were waiting by faith for the Messiah, for that first advent. When is the coming of the Messiah going to happen? When's that ruler from Bethlehem going to be born? The promise was future-oriented. When's it going to come to pass? When's it going to happen? The only way they could make it through the day-to-day -day grind under the Roman occupation is if they stood by faith, if they trusted this promise, if they clung to that promise with all their might. And for us today, we have the same kind of promise. We're not exactly like the Jews who were waiting for the first coming, but we are waiting. We're waiting for the same person they were waiting for, but we're waiting for Him to come a second time. And that's what Advent's all about, right? We are reminded of their faithful waiting so that we will wait faithfully just like they did. We are waiting by faith for the second advent, for the return of the Messiah, just as they were waiting by faith for the first advent of the first Messiah. We have promises. And the promises get updated as we go through redemptive history. So that Ahaz is looking for deliverance from two armies to save his city and his kingdom. 
The Jews were looking not for two armies to be cast off, but for a whole civilization, the Romans, to be cast off so they could be free. And we are looking for our enemies to be cast off, not a nation, not a person, but sin and death. We are waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. You see, our faith cannot stand. It's so flimsy and infirm. Our faith does what Ahaz's heart did. It just shakes as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Faith is so flimsy if it doesn't have something firm to hold on to. Faith isn't strong all by itself. It, faith needs a strong promise to cling to. Because faith is just trust. It's confidence. And so you've got to have something that's trustworthy to cling to. And this is what the text says in verse 9. It says, the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. And then here's the key part. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Firm faith needs a firm promise to cling to. So the question is, if you find yourself in the midst of these separating circumstances, is your faith weak? If so, do what the people of God have done from the very beginning. Look to the promises. Cling to the promises. These strong, sure, firm, secure promises of God found in His Word... And you will find that your faith has something strong to hold on to. And it will gain strength by clinging to that which is most strong and secure. You can stand by faith. Your faith can be firm. You can endure whatever circumstances you're going through. From the, no matter what they are. Look to the promises and you will find strength to stand firm. And if you don't stand by faith, you won't stand at all. We don't have the strength to stand. God gives us the strength, and He does it through promises. So that's first. He gives Ahaz a word of promise. And that brings us to point two. A word of promise we have to stand on by faith. And point two is, He also gives Ahaz a sign. He gives a sign from the Lord. And now we get into the main part of our text, verses 10 and following. You see, Ahaz was given a sign. It says this in verse 10. He's actually told to ask for a sign. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So whatever, ask anything you can imagine. From the loftiest sign to the deepest Ask any sign you want, and God will give you that sign. And Ahaz, Ahaz doesn't really believe it. He says, I will not ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Now, normally that's good, right? Whenever Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4, and he said, hey, these two scriptures say if you jump off the temple, you won't hit the ground. So, have a go. You trust the Bible, don't you? Well, jump off the temple then and see if these verses come true. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a trick. That's not what those verses actually mean. And Jesus says, no, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Right? So that's the right answer often. Don't put God to the test. But when God says, ask me for a sign to prove that my word is true, that means ask. It doesn't mean, no, I don't want to put you to the test. And I'm telling you to. I'm telling you, ask me for a sign. Ahaz won't do it. So he says, fine, fine, I'll come up with a sign. You don't want to ask for a sign? I'll I'll give you a sign. I'll come up with one myself. And that's what uh, verse 13 says. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? (laughs) Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And it goes on to say that before that little boy knows how to discern between good and evil. The two kings you dread will be gone. Syria and Ephraim, their kingdoms, their kings, their armies, their threats will be gone. Before this little boy has even grown to the age where he knows what good and bad are. So within just a, just a few years. This is his promise. This is the sign that he's given to confirm that promise. Now, here it's, it's clear that this is talking about some woman who's alive in the days of Ahaz. Right? So somebody, some lady, right there in Israel that Ahaz is able to see, to see, okay, now she's pregnant. Okay, now the, now the baby's been born. Okay. So we're, the, so we're, we're counting down until the promise is fulfilled, right? This is a woman who's alive then and there. And the word in Hebrew means a young maiden, a young woman, someone who's never had kids before. That's just what the Hebrew word means. And so this is a, a young girl, doesn't have any kids. She's going to have her first kid. And before the kid's old enough to know right from wrong, the promise will be fulfilled. So that's true in Ahaz's day. But you get to the New Testament, and Matthew, he looks at this promise, and he says, okay, there's something bigger going on here. This is not just talking about Ahaz. This has something for us, too. This is pointing us in another direction. And so you get to the Gospel of Matthew, and he says, he says this, starting in Matthew 1, he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary was, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. That was Joseph. Yeah, sure. But he didn't want to humiliate her, so he's like, I'll just divorce her very quietly, make sure she's taken care of, don't want to make a spectacle out of her, but this virgin birth thing is nuts. That's Joseph. But, verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her really is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then Matthew comments, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So, 
Matthew says, look, Isaiah gave a promise to Ahaz. He said, Ahaz, my promise is going to be confirmed by a sign that the virgin's going to give birth. And that was just a regular girl. And, and I mean, we, we don't believe in two virgin births, okay? Whoever this kid was wasn't the Messiah. So we don't believe in two literal virgin births. We just believe in one. Which means there's something deeper that this promise is pointing to, some ultimate fulfillment that Christ fulfills. And Matthew sees that and, and brings it out for us. That not just a young woman who's never been with a husband and never had kids before is going to conceive. No, someone who like really is a virgin is going to conceive. Unheard of. This is the ultimate fulfillment. And this will be a sign for you right there in the first century that, your, that the promise God made is true. His promises are now beginning to be fulfilled. But he's not coming to save you from the Romans. He's coming to save you from the, from the deeper enemy. He's coming to save you from sin, from death, from Satan, from the world, and from the flesh. He's coming to do battle with your ultimate enemy. And that's not a Roman soldier. That's the prince of darkness. He's coming to win a great battle for your soul. That's the promise. That's the sign they were given. That's why the Magi traveled and said, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star rise, and we've come to welcome the King. And for us today, we look back to the birth of Jesus, his first coming, and we are reminded then to look forward to the return of Jesus, his second coming, when he will complete the work that he began. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, the author says this, beginning in verse 27, And just as it is appointed to, for man, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We look at that baby in the manger and we sing a little town of Bethlehem. And we remember in Christmas and in Advent the coming of the Christ child. And we see him there. He finally arrived. The hope of all those Israelites, all those Jews praying and waiting by faith and looking to the promises, believing the prophets. He finally came. God made good on his promise. We look back on that and we should be encouraged that's a sign from the Lord that he kept his promise in the first coming. And he is going to keep his promise for this second coming. And he even named the baby Emmanuel so that we would remember in the middle of all of life's mess, he's still Emmanuel. He's still God is with us. He gave us God is with us in person. In Jesus. And he said, I am always with you because that's always my name, Emmanuel. And I'm with you in the midst of trials and circumstances. I'm there with you and for you. I gave my life and my blood for you. And I will come back and receive you to myself. This you can believe. Look at my incarnation. Look at my flesh and remember 
The promise is sure. He gave us that for our faith to be firm and strong. But he knew, he knew that we, that our faith is still so feeble and infirm. We need something, because that's history, right? I can't see, I can't see Jesus in the flesh standing here right now, and just like they could. Look, here he is in person. The promise is true. That's history. That's 2,000 years ago. That's still, I can't see a promise. I can read it on the page, but I can't see it and feel it and touch it. I can't go back and see Jesus and feel him and touch him. He's not here. Not in that sense. He's with me, but at the same time, he's at the right hand of the Father. So how can I, I need something I can touch. I need something I can feel, something I can taste something we can put on a table and do together. A sign and a seal. We need a sacrament for our faith to cling to. That's why Jesus gave us as Christians a second sign. He gave us the Lord's Supper. And when we we recite the words of institution, which we will do here in just a few moments, this is one of those words. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, way back then, until He comes out in front of us. This is a memorial of what Christ did for us. Something we can taste. Something we can touch. Something faith can feel. To promise us and guarantee us the promise out there in the future is true and will come to pass. This is a sign from the Lord, the Lord's Supper. This sign from the Lord gives your faith, Christian, something tangible to cling to. The sign is the Word made visible. The sacrament is the promise embodied. It points to the ultimate reality in Christ, who is the Word made flesh. And this is the promise made visible. A sign guaranteeing you that what is promised is true. So how can you stand by faith? You have the promises, read the scriptures, hear the word, but then come to these signs, come to the sacrament, and let your faith be nourished. Let your faith be supported. The supper nourishes your soul and strengthens your faith just as really and truly as food nourishes and strengthens your body. This is food for the soul where we partake of the very flesh and blood of Christ spiritually so that our souls are nourished and kept strong and healthy and faith has something firm to hold on to. Use these signs, Christian. Hear the word, receive the sign, and let your faith grow and rise. Finally this morning, Ahaz had one last thing that God gave him in this text. One last verse we haven't looked at. He had victory assured. Ahaz was promised a glorious victory and future prosperity for Judah, 
for the people of God, when the land would be rid of his enemies. One more time, verses 16 and then 17. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The land will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Ahaz has promised that the king of Assyria is going to come in and he is going to conquer Syria and he is going to conquer Ephraim to the north and their lands will be desolate. Their armies will be gone. Assyria is coming in and he's going to rid the land of these other countries, these other nations and their armies. Their threats will be gone. You will be spared. You will be free. This thing you so much dread will not come upon you, Ahaz. He was promised glorious victory and prosperity in the future. Within 65 years, he was told, they won't even exist anymore and you will be free. And for 2,000 years since the birth of Jesus, the church has been waiting like Ahaz. When will you come back? Oh Lord, when will you come and take our enemies away? When will our time of waiting finally be over? When will I no longer have to deal with these separating circumstances of life, the things that threaten to undo me, the things that threaten to crush me, the things that make me feel so distant from you, the things that make my faith so weak, the things that try me and want to ruin me? When will my enemy, the devil, stop prowling right, like a roaring lion, seeking to devour me? When will this flesh stop holding me back from loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? When? How long? 2,000 years. That's a lot more than 65. <laughs> like Ahaz had to wait. This is ongoing waiting. And this is why we needed these promises and we needed a sacrament like the Lord's Supper so that we could stand because our victory is assured and God is keeping us and preserving us and He's given us this great hope that we too will be free from all our enemies on the last day. Maybe it feels like you've been struggling and waiting forever for God to move in your circumstances. Christian, the only way you can stand is by faith. And the way you do that is you go from this place, you open up your Bible, you hit your knees, and you listen to God's promises. You keep coming back to this place week after week to hear these promises read and prayed and sung and preached and proclaimed so that you're never, ever allowed to forget God's promises to you. And then you come, especially on that first Sunday every month, so that you can receive the sacrament to nourish your soul. So that you can be fed. You have to eat every day. <laughs> well, you, spiritually, you've got to keep eating. And that's why we keep feeding you <laughs> at the table. We have to eat. You're baptized once because you get born once. We don't baptize you every month. But we do feed you every month because that born-again soul needs to eat <laughs> in order to grow strong and mature and powerful and victorious. We feed you with the Word preached and read and proclaimed. We feed you with the Word made flesh right there on the table. 
Listen to God's promises. Look to these signs. Receive them and use them for the purpose God gave you. Look back to the birth and come to the banquet. The two great signs he's given us in this text. The birth and the banquet. Use these signs to stir your faith. And finally, Christian, linger on the victory that is coming your way. The victory of Romans 8 that says you are more than conquerors. Overwhelmingly you will conquer. Nothing can separate you. God is with you. No matter what life does, it cannot tear you apart from the love of God. Realize that your Jesus is always Emmanuel, God with us. He is with you now. He is with us forever. Emmanuel has come. And someday, Christian, he will come again. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be pleased to quickly send our Jesus back to us. We know that by his Holy Spirit and through his word and through his promises and in his sacraments especially, he is always, always with us. That his name is always Emmanuel. Oh, we thank you that through the Holy Spirit, you and the Son together with the Spirit, all three members of the Trinity dwell within us. You have made your home with us, and we dwell in you and with you in a real and mysterious and mystical and marvelous way even now. We are united together through Christ and the Spirit. But, oh God, though we love this foretaste of your full presence that we have in this life through your Spirit and through your sacraments. We ask that you would be pleased to send Jesus back bodily, personally, and in a hurry. Oh, send him back. Let us see him. We want our Emmanuel to come. We want our time of waiting to be over. Feel free to come and ruin our plans, cancel our agendas, and give us yours. We want him and in the meantime, Lord, strengthen us in the midst of the, of the nastiness and the mess that life so often can throw at us. And we, we know that it's painful and hard and difficult and it really hurts to go through suffering and to be estranged and to feel distant from you. Lord, in those times, whether we're in them right now or whether they're coming ahead of us, Whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength of faith to cling to those sure promises, to come to your sacraments, to look to the signs you've given us, and to be encouraged and to draw strength so that by faith we can stand looking forward to that great victory that you have out, in, out ahead of us. Oh God, do these things for us. We are needy sinners. We doubt and doubt and doubt. We need you to strengthen our faith and increase our hope. Would you do that for us now, especially as we look forward to the table? Oh, Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, we pray, Emmanuel. We ask it in your name. Amen.